Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Goldfish Village podcast. I'm your host of Goldfish Village, Joshua Mercer, also a realtor with Premier Chicago Real Estate. Here at Goldfish, our focus is to help people like you create financial freedom through real estate. Today, we have a very special guest in the building, um, Dr. Keisha Kadan. She has a wonderful real estate journey, somewhat of a roller coaster ride uh, that she can share with us. Uh, currently, she, she does online education for the National Association of Realtors. So Dr. Kadan, thank you for coming on the show this post New Year's Day. Yes, so, happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, so yeah, so let's get right into it. You know, you had, a, um, you know, when you read your bio and everything about you online, I mean, you, you kind of touch every aspect of real estate from not only being a broker and a landlord, but also the education piece, you know, yes. can you just get into how your real estate journey started? Yes. So um, it actually started because after I came home from undergrad, I moved back in with my mom. And then uh, maybe a few months after that, I got an apartment. And so after a few months of apartment living, I was like, you know, I really want to buy a multi-unit. And um, myself and a friend were going to purchase a multi-unit together. Um, and, you know, just still had like that college roommate, have mm -hmm. fun in life, like, you know, attitude. And just figured that would be a good way to kind of get into um, real estate and have our own property. So we started looking for this multi-unit. And the realtor we work with was like a friend of a friend of a friend. And um, it was just really, really rough. So we had like a specific um, property we had in our mind, like what it would look like. It would be like a brick building. The neighborhood would be great. Everybody's grass would be cut. I mean, you know, we had this price point, like this is how much we want to pay. And we were looking at property that had nothing to do with what we were looking for. Like we were looking at big houses, just all kind of things that had nothing to do with what, what was on our list. And I was like, what is going on? Like it was so, uh, it's still odd when I think about it. I'm like, why would you be taking people to see houses when they said they wanted a brick two flat? So I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go get a real estate license so that I can kind of understand, you know, how this works um, and kind of, you know, venture into it and journey into it myself because my mom, who was a single mom, um, and my mom was an only child, I'm my mom's only child, she lived in the house my grandmother had entire life so she had never purchased property really I didn't really have anywhere to like really understand and then my girlfriend who I wanted to buy with her dad had her house when she was born she had never purchased anything like she had no idea what to do so in that case I generally like go to school or like take a class like still so I went and got my real estate license and that was in 2002 and at that time you could finish your sales license and then go right into the broker license you didn't have to wait you didn't have to work so I think I, I signed with the firm and I got very little training and then I went right into the broker's class I'm like let me just keep going mm -hmm. and um so I got my broker's license the same year so <laughs> um, what, what made you want to buy with a uh, 
by with a friend? I think it was just coming off the, the college mentality. Like at that point, I had three apartments with, you know, my first apartment in college, I went to Champagne, U of I Champagne. So my first apartment, I had three roommates, you know, um, my second apartment, I had a roommate. And so I, I think I just got used to like living with my friends. Mm. Even when I had my own apartment back in Chicago, I had a roommate, my cousin, and then people would just come over. Like it was an extension of my college lifestyle. And so I think I just wanted it to continue. Is that something that looking back, is that something that you recommend that people do? I think it's a great idea. Like, yeah. especially if you have someone, I mean, it could be touchy, right? You want to have someone that you can trust, you know, that will have the same kind of approach toward finances, you know, and lifestyle as you do, which my friend did and still does. But I mean, basically once we're, when you first get out of college, my salary wasn't that much, you know, and hers wasn't either, but together we could easily buy two units. Okay. So tell me about this criteria that you guys had. <laughs> I mean, really, I looking back, it was nothing. Like we just wanted to live in a neighborhood where, you know, where we could have a garage and have a brick two flat, you know, like a standard Chicago brick two unit building. And the, the realtor led you on the wrong path? We Is were in neighborhoods that I still today will be like, what? It was rowdy. Mm -hmm. Like it was just, I, I feel like we even looked at places that were like on the west side. I mean, it was everything that we didn't say. So it was just strange. It was just like, why are we over here? We want to live on the south side. We want this brick two unit. And, and once I became licensed, I saw how easy I could just narrow down the search. Yeah. Right. So for my clients, if you come to me, Josh, and you're like, I need a four bedroom, two bathroom you know, brick house on the south side, I could narrow the list down to probably 50 houses. And I would be like, okay, I know you want to live in this area. We're going to see all 15 of these and you're going to pick one. Let's go. You yeah, know? Yeah. No, that's real. So it's safe to say you didn't find a property with that realtor, right? At all. <laughs> so all that time passes, you go get your license and your broker's license and y'all still don't have anything? No, because we kind of stopped. Um, I think we we may have been waiting on me. I don't I don't remember, but we didn't proceed at all. The first property I purchased was a two bedroom two bath condo in Bronzeville. Oh, okay. I, I just moved into myself. That was, so the first property you bought was what again? A two bedroom two bath condo. Two bed two bath condo. And what what year was this? Two thousand three. So 2003. the year after I was licensed. Okay, so at this point, this is two thousand three. I guess that real estate bust ain't really happened until like oh eight. Kinda. A few years after that. <laughs> yeah. But this is that time period when everybody was trying to get their hands on the condo in Bronzeville, South Loop. Yes. You know, I was broke, so I was still with my money <laughs> too. <laughs> I was just looking at searches and window shopping. But I remember, I remember how much people were paying for uh condos uh back then. And you know, it was like a gold rush almost. So it seemed it seemed, oh, it seemed um, I don't know, it was you're right. It was like a super <laughs> grab um, because my my place was at 49th in Indiana. It was 125.9 or something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. So two bedroom, two bath. I mean, so now you now you're in business. So 
Tell me about the career, though. I mean, right now you're a broker. You have your managing broker's license. I mean, are you using that expertise at all? You mean at that time or even yeah. now? Well, at that time, because you okay. said you went and got the, the license. Like, yeah. did you use that to your benefit to buy your property? Yes. So I purchased my place because I knew I wanted to have my own brokerage. So I got my own place. I, want, I had to go through the process myself. And in the next two years after that, I had like four or five friends of mine get licensed. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so I set up my firm and I recruited my friends to become my agents. Oh, that's dope. So, so I that's, have that's when the big bucks start rolling in. I mean, it was nice because it, like you said, it was the boom. And I probably sold 10 or 12 units in Bronzeville to my friends at that time. Too. Wow. Yeah, so I was all in the neighborhood, and you could get a two bedroom, two bath for nine ninety nine thousand. Man, not anymore. I know. Well, you got to look. You might you might get lucky, but but at that point in time, I mean, they was just selling. The demand was just crazy. How, yeah. You know, I want to ask a question as somebody that works in real estate, and I you know I recently got licensed. I was surprised to see how many realtors don't own property. I don't understand that. You know, I was surprised to see that. Um, was that, you know, because even when you got your license at first, you didn't own a property. Is that something that you see even still today? No, I mean, that was my first priority. Mm -hmm. I bought my property within nine months of getting licensed. Um, but you got to remember, and I shouldn't say I don't understand it because I kind of understand it. I do think it's a mindset thing. Um which I know you, you talk about, because you, I had in my mind, I was buying property two years before I actually did or three years. So in my mind, I was already like, I have to do this. Sometimes I think you can get a real estate license, you know, um, it's definitely not easy, but you can get it and not have any experience at all. Um, and perhaps people are selling real estate part-time or they're doing it so that they can have the income to qualify to buy a property or just to gain an understanding like I was. But my mind was already ripe, you know, like mm -hmm. I was ready, ready. Yeah. What's the benefit? So, you know, so usually when you have a, a normal buyer, when they're not licensed, you know, they had those closing costs, you got a, your down payment, all of that. But when you're licensed, does that, so wait, did you buy your property before you were licensed or? No, right after. Okay. So you bought your pro. So you get a commission off of that, right? Yes. Okay. So how does, how does that work? It's just like a normal thing where you're the, you know, you just get the commission back. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. nothing funny. About okay. It. I know that you have to like disclose that you're a realtor and all of that, you know, uh, prior to putting in the offer. So you know, these are things I just got out of class. So, you know, <laughs> things that I remember. So did you ever end up buying a property with your girlfriend? No, never happened. <laughs> All because of that realtor, man, I blame that person. Yep. Okay. And, uh, but I did sell her. I sold her a condo down the street from mine. Oh, okay. So you was hustling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you buy that first property. 
you're a realtor, you're a managing broker. Let's talk about well, what came first. Was it the next property number two or was it scaling up the brokerage? Mm, I scaled the brokerage. So walk me through that process of how you able to do that. Because prior to this, I mean, this is your first business venture, right? Um, no. Well, I had a, a company that I worked in music. So I had a company that would create like web pages for <laughs> local artists. I forgot, kind of forgot about this. Oh, wow. I know. I had a company that would um, do like internet promotions for local artists. It was called Chicago Talent Online. Oh, um, okay. So that was my first business ever. Um, and then when I realized I wasn't going to make any money, I decided I probably should start a business where I would make money. And that's how I got into real, my real estate company. <laughs> so when you started the brokerage, did you have your own office? I was officing out of my condo. The second bedroom was my office. Okay, nice. So was your plan to hire realtors or was your plan to also, to also like uh, keep selling yourself? Um, I definitely needed the, I needed more realtors so I could make the level of my income I was looking for mm -hmm. in addition to what I was selling. And then at, at your peak, how many realtors did you have under you? I never had more than five. Okay. So, and I considered that small. Um, and then at a certain point, I had a huge broker try to, um, what do you got? Acquire us. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Which I probably, in hindsight, I should have done that. But I was like, no, I built my company. I'm not doing anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I didn't really foresee the market coming to an end like it did in 2008, um, the way it did, but it was okay. I was able to pivot at that point. Nice. So how do you go from one unit to six? So I kept buying property. So I, the first um, rental property I purchased was a townhouse actually. So I had six units, but they were separate. I had a townhouse, actually, I think I had two townhomes, and four houses. Oh, okay. Was, was it an advantage having your license? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could search and search and search and find, you know, the property that I wanted at the price point I wanted. I could see what rental, what rents were going for. So I could pull up rentals in an area, see how much people were getting for, you know, two bedrooms or whatever, and know how much income I would be able to pull in. Um, and then, you know, be first to see what hopped on the market. <clears throat> I was, think that's a good point that you made. You said, yeah, you know, it's super beneficial. And, you know, the other thing was I was working with investors. So um, I had one investor in particular who, would, you know, just gave me, um, you know, a signed contract. Like, if you see something that would be a good deal for me, put an offer in and then I'll go look at it. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Years. Um, I was really good at identifying like good deals and um, I got a reputation for that. So I would have a couple of investors who would just be like, yeah, go, you know, find me stuff and I would find property and they would get it. And I'm like, man, I think I sold a vacant lot um, to a girlfriend of mine. And I think we bought it for, she paid like 12,000 and maybe like nine months later, we sold it for 55. 
Wow. When I saw her get that check that quick, I was like, I need to be an investor. Like, why am I giving all these deals away? I need to figure out how to keep some. Wow, that's amazing. It was amazing. So that's what happened. She kind of pushed me. Man, so what 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 would you what would, so I know you said um the big advantage of having your license is um, you know, you can find these deals quick. But I, one of the things that I heard you mention also was the fact that, you know doing diligence in terms of looking up what the rents were before you even purchase uh, a property to see like, oh, okay, you know, this is how much I can cash flow. Right. Um, did, did you ever have any, were there ever any uh, investors that you work with or, or, or rookies that you work with um, that maybe weren't concerned with that and more concerned with maybe how a property looked versus how it was performing as a business? Never. Never, never. Mm -mm. So that's the that's the benefit of working with a, a seasoned pro like you. <laughs> you, know, you can help them find the good deals. Yeah, it's it's math. Um, that's yeah. what I like about real estate. It's all easy math. It's like yeah. okay, the area is getting this much in rent. This is what my mortgage is going to be. This is what the utilities and everything else is going to be. Let's see what we got left. And then it's extra awesome if you can get it undervalued, right? Yeah. So. Um, a lot of times I would try to find like the house that or the property that was the least expensive in that area where the rent was good. Or even if it need a little work, like having a handyman or someone that I could call and be like, hey, can we get this drywall and, you know, put in a new floor or replace a sink? Because I could save 20 grand or 10 grand, whatever, on the asking price next to, you know, a property that's already rehabbed and in good shape. So what what are what are some tricks to getting properties that are undervalued? In this market, it's tight. <laughs> it's very very tough right now. There's no inventory in the market right now. It's yeah. so crazy. So some, some folks say you know put in cash offers. Um, I even heard this. I even heard uh, make your earnest money higher you know, so people I mean, can take you more serious. Well, I can tell you some of the things I know people do, which, I mean, like you said, having cash, but I promise you, everybody has cash now. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> really? But yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm in the business on the investment side. Now I'm in the flipping business. So I purchased a house we haven't a flip bit. And so I'm constantly looking for just single families that are, you know, need to be gutted or need to be rehabbed. And I promise you when I find one, it's always like, all right, we have 14 cash offers. So that's just not, you do have to be more creative. I think you have to have your cash ready, liquid, ready to close. So you can have a faster, Closing day, you can say I can close in seven days, whatever, however many days. Um, you can you can increase your earnest money, but honestly, in a cash environment, earnest money doesn't matter as much because the property is not going to be off the market long enough for it to make much of a difference. Wow! Yeah, but that is that is something people do. Um, you can cross out all the contingencies, so no inspection, no um mortgage of course no no attorney review like you can just get super like just give me the house you know and you um, and you've seen that oh yeah i know people do it mm -hmm. and it's still not working 
Mm-mm. Man, so right now it's a seller's market in Chicago. Yeah, very much so. Like so you, I've never seen. So why not? Why not purchase con- uh, multi-units? Why weren't you? Why were you purchasing condos and uh, townhouses? Um, I think I was. I wanted to go at like a slower pace. I mm-hmm. think I was a little hesitant to be a landlord and also hesitant to hire a property management company. So I figured if I do like one at a time, (laughs) I could get my (laughs) bearings, which was best for me because my first income property was a town home. The mortgage was like $450,500. It wasn't that much. And the rent was like $1,100, So I had a good spread. My tenant tenant was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It was really sweet. And that was the thing, like I had a really careful screening process for tenants. I tried not to rush, um, which is really what I mean by careful. So not take the first applicant, look at all the applications carefully, make sure the information makes sense that's on the application, talk to the person, go to the place where they live, see how they're living, who they live with. I did all of that. She was a really sweet woman um, with older children. But by the time, at the end of the day, like her her kids had kids and she had grandkids. She moved in an uncle. Like it was a lot. <laughs> um, was she paying on time? Well, she was um, CHAC. So yes. Um, but she did have a portion she needed to pay, which was variable. And it was like $100, but she wouldn't pay it sometimes. <laughs> so oh, man. I learned a lot. Um, and then like by the time she was ready to move out, the place was trashed. And it was like they had an inspection or something, maybe, you know, right before she was leaving and tried to say I needed to repair all of this stuff that she had, they had torn up. I'm like, this is not good. So Honestly, like I had, (laughs) sounds like you didn't like that experience. I had quite a few adventures um, (laughs) working with um, CHAC and I just didn't like that. Like, I don't like being responsible for other people's transgressions. Like who does, right? But some people, some investors I work with don't care. They're like, yeah, okay, well, I'll just get my person out there or they know how to do repairs, right? So if you are an investor and you know how to patch drywall and you know how to do all of these things then it's not gonna matter as much as me where I gotta try to find somebody I gotta trust them I gotta hope they're not overcharging me like it's a lot more um, into it and so after carrying all of that for so many years once I had my daughter I knew I couldn't continue like I was running all over the place you know checking on property hiring people firing people putting people out whatever like I can't do this so that was when I decided to kind of re-strategize and sold everything so that I can get into the rehab business so you sold your entire portfolio I sold everything at that time um except so I I still had my Bronzeville condo I was Mm -hmm. renting that out I rented that out for 10 years probably more um so I had everything I sold everything except that and um, bought the place where I live now. And then once I was in my place for two years, I sold the bonds of the condo too. So I kind of just saved up my money so that I could be a cash buyer um, and buy a house to rehab. So <clears throat> would you say that uh, for somebody starting out, 
that a condo or a townhouse is more passive than a multifamily? Is that what? It, I think it depends on a few things. It depends on how many, uh, how much access you have to people that can help you with repairs if you can't do them yourself and maintenance. Um, because ultimately, you need your building's going to have to be in good shape, especially if you're looking to work with CHAC. CHAC is uh, in a section eight. Yep. Okay. But people, uh, people, People that own a lot of units, they love Section 8. Well, because the money is guaranteed. <laughs> like, you can't be getting market rent, which is always going to be over, probably over $1,000, no matter what you do, on up, you know, to the thousands, depending on how large your place is and where it's located, automatically in your bank account once a month no matter what, like you can't really beat that. So I think that's- But even, even with that, it was still a headache for you. Well, because of the repairs and just some of the things that happened with tenants <clears throat> in that situation. So even though my tenants were always amazing, like they were very kind hearted, all of them usually, you know, where I think you have to work to still have the voucher, but they worked, um, you know, very strong, loving people. They all, you know, have big families. But the kind of things that would happen, I would be like, how could you, how could this happen in this house? Like when I handed you this house, it was remodeled. <laughs> Everything was like it was. And then I've had like um, floor tiles come up. I'm like, man, defying gravity. <laughs> how this come up? <laughs> I've had pieces of furnaces come up missing, like the pipe to connect the furnace the drain the water like what what happened to the pipe mm -hmm. what do you mean you don't know like pipes don't unhitch themselves and walk pvc pipe at that it's not even like it was a metal pipe <laughs> um i've had floods i've had i mean just anything happens systems shut completely down things fall completely apart people move in that i didn't know who they were um fights Somebody almost got carjacked once. I mean, just anything you can think of. Man. So it's a lot to deal with, right? Or not. Like, you could be the type of investor that doesn't get attached to any of that. Like, I'm a woman, so I'm more, like, connected to the tenants and their story and their family. I go talk to them, see how everybody's doing. Some people never do that. Like, I know investors that never, ever go to their property. They don't even know who their tenants are. So again, it's going to depend on like the type of person you are and your approach to your um, property and your business. So while you were, um, <clears throat> so while you were, so while you bought the entire six portfolio of six, were you still a broker? No. So once the, the market crashed, I pivoted into education. That's how I went into real estate education. Okay. So I started teaching because what happens in a down economy is people start going back to school and they start looking for, you know, um, more ways to change their careers or to make themselves marketable for the few jobs that end up being available or to recover from a loss of a job or loss of income because of the economy. So there was a huge demand for education. Once the market started dying down, people want to get licensed, people want to go back to school. I was teaching entrepreneurship for city colleges, people want to start businesses. So 
I was just fortunate to be able to pivot. I come from a educa family of educators. So I was like, I'm never teaching. Don't ask me, no way. And then of course it was in my heart. And so people kept asking me, can you teach, you should teach a class. I'm like, why do people keep trying to make me do this? So eventually I just kind of went that way because um, the demand got so loud and I couldn't help it anymore. And I just fell in love with it, honestly. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so any regrets from sell selling your portfolio? No. No. <laughs> no. So you sound like you got rid of a headache. I just, it was too much <laughs> for me, like the kind of person I am, even just, I'm going to tell you the truth, like with this property that I just bought. So last year was when I bought the um, house to rehab and flip. There was, um, it was a family home. They had been there for 40 years, the family. And the mom, the dad passed, the mom was getting older and sick. So she moved down South to like Alabama with the daughter. And then the son of the family who was in his late fifties was just there. So the house had been paid for for years. Um, so they were just kind of looking to collect a little cash and move on. But he was there kind of house sitting and, and cause he lived there his whole life. And so um, of course I'm talking to him like he looks sick. So I'm worried about him cause this is the problem that I have. <laughs> which has nothing to do with me, right? I'm just an investor, but I can't help myself. I was a social worker when I first left school and it shows. So he's there. I'm telling him like, okay, we got a contract. You got to get it together. Where are you going? He's not going to live anywhere else, right? As, except when he was a little kid. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to find something, you know, go somewhere. I'm like, it's a bunch of stuff in here. You got to get all this stuff out. So it was crazy. So we get to the closing table and... I'm like, hey, y'all went by the house yesterday and he's still there. They're like, what? He's still there? Like, they don't even know his family is like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm like, y'all got to get him out because I already know I can't put him out. So mm -hmm. don't give him to me. Like, don't let me close. Now I own the house and now I got to put him out. Not happening. Like, I already know me. Not putting people out. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> so my attorney ended up having to write an addendum saying that they would get him out. You know, they would make sure the house was empty. Wow. He would be out of there. And they ended up calling an ambulance because he was sick. And I think he went to the hospital. Um, but yeah, so like, I already know <laughs> certain situations I'm not good with. I don't want a house with people in it that I got to put out because I'm not going to want to put them out and things like that. Man, that sounds, <clears throat> that sounds, uh, <laughs> a, a bit rough so now when you sold the portfolio were you able to make a profit off of the sale yeah I was able to collect the cash and I started a real estate investment company so I just put the cash into that account and then when I made offers on the houses I was looking at to rehab I could show that I had cash in the bank that's dope so basically you you know you had all you had all these properties you sold them um did they appreciate in value yeah all so, of them um actually all of them except that bronzeville condo <laughs> which the first one you bought yes so it appreciated during the um high time of the real estate cycle but when the market crashed the values crashed so you know the value had already been inflated on up i think at one point it appraised for like 170 or something remember i bought it for 125 but by 2009 or 10 when the market started tanking 
people were buying condos over in Bronzeville for 50, 60,000, mm-hmm. even yeah. till two years ago. Yeah, yeah. The only way I got lucky with that is because um, Chase ended up, was it Chase? One of the banks, I had two mortgages on it. One of the banks forgave their loan. I think it was Chase, actually, to give them some credit. <laughs> they ended oh, up really? forgiving. Yes, they ended up forgiving the loan because there's no way it would ever appraise for 165 at the time when I was trying to, you know, at the time we were going through all of that. And I'm sure um, banks were just seeing that it was going to be a huge loss for them in that area because so many people have paid so much or pulled out so much equity. So I just have one loan to pay off, which means, you know, I was able to kind of sell it without losing, but that could have potentially (laughs) been a loss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, uh, they always say you make your money in real estate when you buy, you know, not when you sell. And, uh, you know, so you obviously want to buy stuff that has a lot of equity in it. So you take this cash. Was there any like major tax consequences to to selling that property? Um, No, because I had still had like some depreciation on my tax roll, which I don't completely understand, to be honest, but I have a really great accountant who Mm -hmm. understands it. (laughs) So um, because of whatever depreciation credits I hadn't been taking, I had been saving them because she knew I was she knew my strategy. Um, Then I was able to kind of have the cash, but then also it went to the corporation. So it's not like it came into my personal bank account. Oh, so you you had this in mind anyway that you were going to sell these properties. Yeah. And I talked to my accountant about it. Like, what should I do to make sure I don't have like a huge tax implication? Because I had already been through that too. Like I had sold something or put out some equity and banked a bunch of cash. And then my tax bill was ridiculous and I owed. (laughs) So I've been through all of that. (laughs) And when the, the IRS, they want their money ASAP. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you like know. I was paying the IRS 275 a month for years to pay yeah. down tax bills. Yeah, it's not so. pretty because they, they give you that letter and they want everything up in like two weeks and then you got to get on the payment plan if you can't. Yeah. Pay them. You're like, like, yo, I didn't make this much money. Why y'all asking for so much? You know? I promise. And like, <laughs> and I have on my Facebook, I posted recently, I, I always write down like my goals. And in 2015, I wrote down how I had like a big IRS debt. I was like, I got to get this paid. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you keep paying, eventually you will pay it off. But yeah, I don't want those <laughs> kind of problems. You said if you keep paying eventually. <laughs> eventually. Because yeah. you will keep I mean, paying. it sucks. It sucks because, you know, like you got that bill and you know that next year's taxes are coming. So it's like it could keep compounding. So it, it's important to have a strategy and to be in good communication with uh, your accountant and anybody else who's who's working with you, you know, as, oh, you, yeah. uh, as you form your exit strategy. Yeah, I have a, I hired a, a big accounting firm and I, I don't mind paying them at all. After I went through the drama of having a big tax bill and just being hit with, I mean, for a few years, I wasn't even filing my taxes because I was scared, you know, so I've just been in a lot of situations and I finally just hiring an accountant and that's the best money I pay because they know at this point they know my strategy they help bail me out you know and figure out how to catch up at one point and now they know what I'm doing so they can kind of help help me not end up in the place that I had been before wow so what made you so you sell and when you sell and, and you take the proceeds from that are you thinking immediately like what's your thoughts in terms of what you want to do with the money 
next? Are you okay? So now my strategy is um, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep buying, rehabbing, and selling until that runs out, which I think at some point the market is gonna balance back out. Um, but I, my plan was to do that like maybe four or five times to like save up money in that company and then buy like a six unit or four unit in a very, very stable um, neighborhood and hire a property manager to manage it. Uh, and then just kind of keep that to have more income toward my retirement. So be hands off, <laughs> just be totally hands off and, you know, take advantage of uh, stability and appreciation. Yeah, but I feel like I need a lot of cash because I want to buy a building in a very stable neighborhood. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> so what are some what are some stable neighborhoods in Chicago? Like how would you like Beverly? Them? Yeah, I just bought a two <laughs> flat over here in in Beverly, and uh, mm -hmm. it is I want to say uh, well I own two two units in Beverly and. They they cost just as much as six unit buildings. I know. In uh in in other areas that I've bought properties in. And, I, know. <laughs> and, I know. And you know what's what's odd to me about so so on one end the acquisition cost is higher for these homes in these stable areas, but you don't have to put like nobody moving into these houses is expecting like granite countertops. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but in other neighborhoods that may not be as stable, they want like, they want everything like on point. They want all new finishes, everything. That's the investor's uh, fault. We go in and buy a property for yeah. 30, 40 grand, rehab it and put everything top of the line in it. Because I mean, I think kind of, they want to be competitive. At one point, I think it was to be competitive. Like you want to have, all the tenants clamoring for your unit so it has to it be. does work though i mean those yeah. tenants, like you know people will be lined up but then you got to interview 100 people just to get to to one person but i know that you know I, I own some units in another part of chicago and i've had great tenants there they've been there 10 years each yeah but i know that uh once they move out i'm gonna have to do all this updating because yep. when you look at the area like you know people are ho hooking their stuff up Mm -hmm. so so yeah, yeah. no I, I do like that plan though so so you stayed in real estate so how is property development or flipping how's that going I mean it's going okay <laughs> um <laughs> just okay have you flipped yeah, anything yet I, well I just so I rehab and I have under contract the house that I finished and I'm just waiting on it to close any day now mm. but the thing that makes me say it's okay is that trying to find the next one is like whoa I'm just looking at the change in the market between last year and this year and the prices are just high like for a house that needs everything, people want 70, 80, 90,000 dollars when I bought the house I have for 40,000. So So you bought the house that you are flipping for 40,000. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, the rehab cost is about how much? So I always use 100, 100,000 <clears throat> as an estimate for my rehab cost. So the rehab for this was a little bit more than that. Okay. So when you talk about a hundred thousand, how many square feet? Um, probably nine hundred to a thousand. Does that include bungalow? Does that include like a new roof? That did include a new roof, actually. New roof, finished <laughs> basement. Yep. Oh man! So new bathrooms, of course, new kitchen. Yep. 
mm-hmm. new floors. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's a nice little amount. So, I you know the, the unit that I bought in Beverly, it's a two flat. Um, I did. I'm rehabbing that one now, and I do have a tenant on the first floor, but I'm rehabbing the second floor unit. One thing I did do was separate the heat, so I didn't want to be paying uh, the heat bill. But those rehab costs they add up quick, you know. Yeah, I'll say. You know, so uh, <laughs> I can definitely sympathize with you there. So, would you find it um, more? So, for somebody that's looking for to build up cash, would you recommend that they go into flipping or buy and hold? To build up cash. Well, the thing about flipping is that it takes a while, so it's not like an easy cash game. <laughs> Eventually, you you can make some money if you do things the right way. Um, it depends. So like if you have a buy and hold where you buy it under market, you can pull some equity out and get cash that way. And mm-hmm. then eventually, you know, hopefully be able to sell and recover from the equity you pulled out. For instance, if you buy something that's 140, but it's actually worth 160, you can pull 10,000 out. Now you owe 150 on it. Um, Hopefully, eventually, you'll be able to sell it for more than 150 is what I'm saying, depending on how long you hold it. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as easy as people think to like get cash out of your property. Um, it really does take like you having a, to find something undervalued um, that has the equity in it that you can pull out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you know, um, and, you know, you have to do the math to see if it makes sense, even though interest rates are low, you know, you do have to pay closing costs and you do have to, you know, see if it's worth it in the long run to, to refinance and all of that. So from what I hear, so you got six units, started, became a broker or realtor. And I kind of became a realtor the same reason, because, uh, I felt like I was nagging my realtor too much. <laughs> I wanted to see like everything. And now mm-hmm. I see <clears throat> being in his position, I see what it's like when people come to you with no pre-approval <laughs> and they want you to look at all of this stuff and send them all of this stuff. You know, cause I'm like, you can look that up yourself, you know, yes, but, uh, <clears throat> but you know, you go, you get the realtor license, you become a managing broker, you buy your condo, then you buy townhomes, you get a portfolio of six, have your daughter, you liquidate everything. And then the market, um, you know, you pivot into the education space and now you use the proceeds from that to start doing rehabs. Um, so you're basically trying to build up that cash so that you can get back into buying and hold, but you kind of want to be in a position where you can buy something maybe in cash in a stable area so you could just not even worry about it. Right. Or even just afford like an expensive multi-unit, you know, yeah. have the money to put a nice down payment, have a little, you know, cash saved and then still be able to make a little bit of money every month. Because I mean, I'm just I'm trying to retire, like I'm trying to plan for my daughter to go to college. Everything is centered around retirement, though. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, same. I'm the same way. I think about retirement all the time. Yeah. Is there like a criteria? Like when you go into rehabbing a home, do you have a dollar that you want to make once it's 
sold? Like, do you have like a minimum amount? Like, I don't go into this deal unless I make 50 grand. I know a lot of people say that. Um, <clears throat> and I think if you can put together a deal that makes sure you have 50 grand, that's great. Um, but I do think with the current state of the market, you just have to be a little bit flexible. Um, but yeah, 50,000 on the back end is a good number to start with. Yeah. And so how long the, the property that you have on the contract now, when did you, well, how long have you had it? I've had it for 16 months. Wow. 16 months. Exactly. And <laughs> you, you bought this one cash. Yes. Well, yeah. I got, I got a rehab loan, um, which paid for part of the acquisition and all pretty much all of the construction. No, not really. I had to put some cash into the construction too. Wow. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge deal, which is wasn't what I planned for. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it came out really nice. It's a beautiful, beautiful home. And the, the buyers are a very nice family who will do so well in there. So it's all working out as it should, but it definitely has taken a lot longer than I planned for it to take. Wow. That's interesting. So now you're in the education space with the National Association of Realtors. What are you seeing? Everybody keeps saying, oh, the market is going to tank. You know, people, landlords are going to be distressed. People are going to be getting kicked out. Hold on to your money and be ready to buy something. Is that what you're hearing or is that the trends that you're seeing too? Um, I do hear that. Um, not necessarily from work. So for work, I am working, I work in the education department, which pretty much puts together like all of the materials and content for when you hear about certifications and designations as a realtor. Mm -hmm. So like a credited buyer representative is one, for instance, it's a big one. So we do all of the um, educational content development for that. In terms of like hearing what's happening, I do think people, I've heard people, you know, I'm in Facebook groups for real estate and I hear people saying like, get ready for short sale, foreclosure, you know, the market's gonna drop. But I think historically we haven't had like the government interventions where they're sending people cash money. Like this is a very unique, <laughs> a very unique way um, to handle the pandemic in terms of trying to make sure people don't lose everything. Um, now with the, we're about to change administrations, then maybe things will be different and maybe some things will change. Um, but I don't necessarily know if we should prepare for a panic drop in the market. Like maybe there'll be some corrections because the market is just really high right now. And so we have a lot of room to just correct and make it where the market is more fair. Um, and so if that happens, it still won't be like a drop where you can find property like you could in the 2008-2009 um, crisis. I just don't think that's going to happen again because that was like an orchestrated financial crisis versus an actual um, pandemic where there's some kind of interventions happening by the government to prevent you know, the tank that could have been possible. Yeah, that was <clears throat> a unique time and I wish I had money. I was broke. So I, I wish I could have took advantage of just getting one thing. I, I bought my first place in 07, right before it happened. 
the multi-unit that I bought. And I way overpaid for it. But I remember two years later when they had that thing, uh, that harp loan thing or whatever, I tried to refinance. And I remember getting it uh, appraised. I bought, paid like $320. And it was worth like $150. Mm-hmm. I, was like, I was like, man. But because it was a multi-unit, I was still you know, able to win in terms of getting cash from tennis, but I could have won a lot more, you know, had I not, if I would have just bought it a year later. I know, know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's nuts, (laughs) it's nuts. Um, But I always felt like multi-units in our neighborhoods were undervalued anyway. Like, like I never, it never made sense to me why a a six unit building is like 360 bucks, 360K. Now I get that it's not gonna be as, you know, a million dollars but when you look at the numbers like the cash flow that it gets and the um the demographic i mean it's like why is this so cheap you know so it's unfortunate it's systemic we live in chicago that's a different podcast yeah. no i mean it's but I, I look at it as an opportunity for people like me and you and you know people that um care about the community and are from these areas mm-hmm. to go in and be owners you know what I mean? Yeah. Versus other people. Cause when you, when you know, from being a realtor, you walk in some of these conditions and these people paying rent on time and you look at how they live in, you like, who owns this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's nice that we are having a little bit of an awakening as it, as it comes to that, because I've been in real estate a long time and it's taken a while for people in our community to even understand that we can be the investors. We can be the owners we can be in charge, we can be the landlords, we can beautify our communities. Um, I, I do think that it has taken a second, again, mindset to, you know, for people to change their mind and understand you actually don't have to be a tenant. You don't, you can not rent if you don't want to. Um, the information is more readily available now that we have the internet and social media, YouTube, people can find information, I think, and feel more comfortable and more empowered. But I do definitely think that you know, for a long time, I, I told you, my mom never bought a property. The first property my mom bought was because I became a realtor. I was watching all these investors cash out. And I'm like, mom, you have no mortgages on your credit. Your credit score is crazy. You've lived, at home, you've lived at home for 50 years, pretty much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got mad money. Your credit score is perfect. So you're going to buy this house and you're going to make some money. She was like, okay. <laughs> you know, but Again, I saw it in my own family. Um, I still see it for a large part, but I do think that, you know, access to the information and then people like you and, and me who try to put information out to our peers and to our counterparts and to our community to say, hey, 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 like don't miss out on this opportunity to build wealth and change our um, legacies and our, li- our lives. Yeah, my, my philosophy is, your first home purchase needs to be a three or a four unit building. So everybody doesn't necessarily agree. Now, if you're making a high salary, obviously you live where you want. You don't want to be right. bothered with <laughs> having tenants. I totally get it. But yeah. <clears throat> my first stable job, I'll say out of college, I was a teacher. So I taught for seven years in CPS and uh, I bought a three unit building. And for me, you know, I have friends that worked in corporate America making double or a lot, you know, more than what I was making, having that three unit building that eliminated my mortgage. So now when That's it was right. time to travel, I'm traveling with them, you know, we, we, we hanging out, you know, so 
And it also was an opportunity. It's so many other opportunities. You learn how to manage a business. You know, you collect yes. the rent, you making repairs, and you know, you're living in the community. You know what I yes. mean? Which is, you know, equally as important. So that's my philosophy. So you know, and that's why I started. You know, this whole movement because I just see how just living in that building. You know, it helped me gain the equity that I needed in the. Uh, you know, in that building and it added to my net worth. So, you know, I think that's important that everybody get exposed to it. Um, yeah, I what, think it's, I ahead. think that's phenomenal. I think that what you did was phenomenal. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you can have your own place and live for free. You know, your tenants can pay your whole mortgage and then some, and you can be saving your money. Like that's an amazing strategy for a young person, especially, um, so I love that. I, I love your story. And I think it's something that definitely should be shared and people should consider it. It's a great idea. <laughs> I wish I, you know, it's almost what we wanted to do, but not really because we wouldn't have had tenants paying for our place, but we definitely would have been able to split the expenses. You know, if you just go in with a roommate or somebody and buy a multifamily, be able to cut down, you know, on the cost of your living is at mm -hmm. the end of the day, how you save money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> beneath your means so. absolutely yeah definitely why do you think most uh why do you think people who do come into real estate fail because i feel like so much stuff is laid out for you by the bank like it's so much material out there that you can look up but there are people that still fail when it comes to being a landlord or an investor um from what you've seen why why do people fail Oh, because there is more than meets the eye and that's with anything in life. So like you think, oh, I'm going to be a landlord. My, my mortgage is 400. My rent is 1200. So I'm just going to clear this money every month and, you know, be able to do whatever. And at the end of it, you realize like you got repairs, you got taxes, you have, you know, whatever other expenses um, that may happen. And there's a lot of moving pieces that you may have heard about, but you may not understand. So um, you understand that you have to um, pay property taxes, for instance, but maybe you don't realize like the bill comes twice a year. You got to go, you know, get the bill and pay it. Maybe you miss one installment because you mm -hmm. didn't see it or something. And next thing you know, somebody has bought half part of your taxes and you got to redeem them <laughs> like oh wow you know you know um that's not good or, <laughs> you know something breaks and falls apart and now you got to figure out like well what who do I even call um when my furnace breaks down is it a plumber is it a <laughs> is it an air conditioner person like maybe you don't even know so I think it's just a lot of moving parts and you may not really understand how big of an undertaking it could be because sometimes people never, you know, really reveal that or they don't talk about that part, right? So we could easily get on here and be like, yeah, we bought these properties. These people paid our mortgage. We made all this money. We traveled and we live in the life. And they never say, well, you know, I had an IRS tax bill that was $20,000 and I had to, you know, figure that out. So I do think that, you know, just not having a, a real deep understanding of everything it takes could be a reason that people fail. And that's in any anything. Yeah. Yeah. People like to glorify real estate. And, uh, you know, it is fun when it's 
product is complete. The floors are done. The drywall is, yes. you, can't, you can't see what's under the walls no more. <laughs> that is the fun part when you get a, a contract signed. But when you are looking at properties to buy, trying to find that needle in the haystack, that, that's not so much fun. You know, it may be when you first first start out, but it ain't as fun, you know, you know, the more season you get. But but yeah. no, that's that's great info. I appreciate that. So, Dr. Kadan, I appreciate you coming on the show today, taking time out. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Um, that's, that's been a wrap for us today. So this is Joshua Mercer, founder of Go Fish Village podcast. Uh, you can watch more shows like this at www.gofishvillage.com. Also, if you're looking for a realtor to help list your home or find an investment property for you. Holla at your boy, www.listwithmercer.com. Thanks again for coming on the show. Phenomenal. Thanks for having me and continued success to you.